If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you. Let's talk about the economy. We just talked about the Trump fiasco. Let's go to the economy with, we got Michael Falkender, professor of finance at the University of Maryland. He's chief economist at the America First Policy Institute and a former assistant secretary of the Treasury for Economic Policy, and John Carney, Breitbart News Editor, Economics and Finance, and co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest. John Carney, uh, what did you learn from the employment report yesterday? It's kind of menza menza. What did you think? So I thought that it was good enough to support the idea that the Fed is going to hike again. This is the last employment report that the Fed will be able to see before its next meeting in early May. And 236,000 jobs is a lot. I mean, Larry, when you were in the White House, you would have been quite happy with 236,000. It's cooler than we had in February or January, but it is still a quite hot jobs number and the unemployment rate fell. I think Fed officials have to look at that and say, we are not getting a fast enough cool down in the labor market to satisfy their desire to have less demand for employment. You know, I was reading your uh, piece on uh, on uh, Jim Bullard from the St. Louis Fed, uh, who is pretty hawkish. Uh, what about, let me just ask, though, to follow up, let's see, average hourly earnings for production workers – 0.3 in March, 0.4 in February, 0.3. So 4.2% annually for the last three months, 5.1% for the last 12 months. So uh, wages are cooling down. Of course, they're underneath the inflation rate, but wages uh, look like they're cooling down. Does that play a role in this or no? It does, and it's helpful that they're cooling down. But again, as you just said, 4.2% is far from being consistent with 2% inflation. Mm. And so the Fed has a long way to go. Uh, I don't think that this means they have to necessarily keep hiking as far as the eye can see. I do think that the current built-in expectations into things like the Fed Funds futures market don't really make sense. They see they, they, they did move a little on these jobs numbers. They, they now favor a hike at the next meeting, and before it was about evenly split. They're moving, uh, but they still think that – so it, right now built into the numbers is a hike at the May meeting, a pause at the June meeting, and then cuts for the rest of the year. That, to me, is not really in the cards unless we get – some, you know, dramatic shift in the numbers, but I don't see that happening. Mike Falkender, you know, you're still, even with a 3.5% unemployment rate, you're still 
your participation rates are still low. Your employment to population ratio is still low. You know, we're quite, and, and also, Mike, if you look at the uh, participation rate for prime age, whatever it is, 25 to 54 or something, that thing is still a couple of points below the peak. Uh, of years ago. I mean, what's up with that? We, we've never really gotten back to peak rates. There's just too many people that are still out there don't seem to want to work. I agree with you, but the, the uh, prime labor force participation rate is where it was prior to the pandemic. So one does question. So you're right. It's at 83 right now. The peak was at 84 and a half or so mm. a, a number of years ago. But with the aging of the population, we're never going to get the labor force participation rate back to where it was prior to the pandemic. You know, I mean, with the baby boomers in prime retirement years, we're, we're looking at a structural reduction in both the employment to population ratio and the, the, the average labor force participation rate for adults, which is why, just as you did, I've been focusing more on the prime one. But let me go back to the Fed. I'm, I'm hearing more and more discussion about whether they're going to revisit the 2% target. Oh, and so, oh. you know, are they are they going to really bring it down to 2%? Um, you know, that statement they put out where they revised monetary policy projections to now do average inflation targeting, clearly that's out the out the window. Because, you know, with the if they want to get down to an average of 2% over the last couple of years, they've got to bring it down well below 2% and they can't even get it to 2. So, I wonder whether they're going to revisit, and I'm hearing more people talk about, will they give up on getting down to 2% because the impact that even higher rates would have, not only on the economy, but also remember the losses that SVB took, the Fed is taking as well. Right. Their portfolio is underwater. Yes, it is. Mark to market. They're not anymore. Mark to market, the Fed's insolvent. Correct. <laughs> what does that mean exactly? It's just going to be a bookkeeping entry until rates get back to an upward sloping yield curve. But until then, they're going to no longer contribute to the Treasury. And so that's a reduction. That's an even further reduction in, in federal income receipts. Jay Powell will be the worst CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank in history. <laughs> well, and I, I've been talking to more and more people about how you know, how much are you going to fault SVB for doing exactly what the Fed itself right. is doing? That's a great story. It's, I know. It's a bookkeeping entry. Uh, and what do they call it? The, the deferred assets? I mean, they don't they don't have to mark to market. But No, they're just going to take a negative equity position, and it doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> I just love that. I mean, that really shows the, the paucity of knowledge here. Um, John Carney, manufacturing is definitely in a recession. And housing, which may or may not be coming back, but it's still in a recession, too. But the manufacturing interests me a lot because that's so important to the economy. I know everybody says consumer spending is two-thirds of GDP and blah, blah, 70%. But actually, you look under the hood of these GDP accounts, it's business-to-business activity that really matters. And that stuff has been slumping badly, and manufacturing is the root cause of it. So we may be closer to recession than people think. Manufacturing is definitely in a recession, and and it, and it seems to be deepening. We're still losing. So even these months where we're adding a lot of jobs overall, we're losing manufacturing jobs. If you look at the survey data, that shows that you know we've been in contraction for five months in manufacturing. All of the Fed regional surveys 
have been deeply underwater for quite some time. So, yes, and manufacturing is also tends to be a bellwether for the rest of the economy, right. whereas the services sector can hold up for a little longer. You see a decline in manufacturing before you see a decline in other parts of the economy. And as you said, housing, yes, I, you know, I've been writing housing seems to have bottomed, but it is not, you know, and maybe it's trending up a little, but it, we're still in a very low activity uh, area in the housing sector right now. So we have two major parts of the economy that are slumping. It's very, and you know, and then all the other indicators we talk about all the time, uh, you know, the leading economic indicators, the, the inversion of the yield curve, all tell us, yes, a downturn is coming. But the amazing thing that keeps happening, and par- partly because of these jobs numbers we were just talking about, is that that date keeps getting pushed further and further away. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought we'd be in it in the first or second quarter. That now looks unlikely that we'll have a recession then. So we're talking third quarter, maybe most likely, I think now fourth quarter or first quarter of next year. Mike Falkender, if you were still the, the top economist in the Treasury Department, which is a very lofty position, and we were having our uh, meetings with uh, Kevin Hassett and me and, and you uh, and even Mnuchin, uh, what would your recession outlook what would you be advising us i'm with john you know it it is it keeps coming back to when are households going to finish burning through the money that they accumulated during the pandemic Mm. you know they more and more of them are hitting credit card debt limits but and we've been watching that checking and savings accounts deposits at banks have been slowly declining you Mm. know there was about a 40 percent increase between the end of 2019 and 2022, that number so has started to come down, probably hasn't come down enough yet, and so people are still spending the money on restaurants, vacations, and services. Mm. It's when that spending stops mm. that we'll hit a recession, and we will, right? Because when you've got negative real wages and you've got savings rates where they're at, a lot of households are burning through the cash that they have accumulated. question is when will they burn through enough of it that they'll be forced to pull back and we'll get the inevitable recession. It'll be shallow, but we will get it because people will pull back because the current spending levels are unsustainable in a negative real wage environment. John, John Carney, before we take a break, um, I want to go back to your favorite and, my, and become my favorite inflation indicator, which is the median CPI from the Cleveland Fed, which is still whatever, 7%, 7% plus. Uh, that's still a high number. So... I just, you know, I know there are a lot of numbers. CPI is still 6%. I don't know what the uh, now-cast forecast is for the Cleveland Fed. Maybe one of you guys can look that up while we're on because uh, we'll get those numbers next week for the CPI, what their forecast is. But still, John, there's a lot of inflation in the system, which is killing uh, wages and living standards and so forth. Food prices uh, are still very, very strong. Uh, you look at food a lot. I mean, I think that, you know, if the Fed throws a towel in, that would be a huge mistake, just a huge mistake. I think that's right. So what we're what we've been seeing in, uh, is that particularly the median, the month to month median inflation hasn't come down at all. It has been 0.4 percent for since September. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went up to 0.6 percent in January, but we can just ignore that. Let's say that was a year end fluke. But or beginning of the year fluke. So now we have uh, basically steady median inflation, 
if you look at the uh, the Cleveland Fed nowcast, that's predicting a core CPI of 0.45%. So, oh. again, no real change uh. in the, uh, you know, in core numbers. It's predicting around the same for April. I mean, it's very early to, you know, look at the April uh, number. But the but what, so what we're seeing is inflation hasn't really come down. We will next week uh, get some deceptive numbers because the headline CPI number will be lower uh, because of the base effect. Remember, last year, Putin invaded Ukraine. Oh. Energy prices went through the roof. Right. So we will get some confusing numbers in the headline number. But if you look at some of these underlying measures, you're still going to see inflation is running pretty hot. Yeah, it's a tricky story. You probably have to watch the three-month change rather than the 12-month change. That's right. Uh, which reminds me, what happens, uh, Mike Falkender, the oil story, so OPEC made its production cut announcement, and both Brent and WTI, they both bumped up about $5. So the w- West Texas Intermediate is about 80 bucks, and uh, Brent crude, your European crew is about 85 bucks. Um, I, that will be in this number, I guess. Gasoline prices have edged up too. But doesn't, I mean, Mike, how much, what is the oil price threat now with with the Saudis and the Russians taking uh, whatever million barrels off the market? Uh, if I remember correctly, though, the, the OPEC cut was on April 2nd, so it won't be in next week's number. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll, be in the, it'll be in the next one. But, you know, even, even if we look at that three-month number and annualize it, we're still running above – Four percent inflation, and if we, as the nowcast suggests, come in at 0.4.5 inflation for the month, and you've got a 0.3 percent hour, hourly earnings growth, you've got yet another month of real wage decline. Mm. So that that continues. So even if the 12 month num- headline number comes down because we we lose the oil price increase that we saw 12 months ago upon the invasion of Ukraine. Um, that's going to continue, and it's just going to continue to the oil price pressure is just going to continue to rise when we start getting into summer driving months. Mm-hmm. So we've still got more inflation on the horizon, as we've seen the food inflation persists because the lag of it showing up. Remember, as we talked about before, the fuel then leads to fertilizer, then yeah. leads to price increases on food, yeah. and so all of that continues unabated, um, which is why I I question whether, as I said before, whether the Fed can stick with a 2% inflation in target given some of the damages that higher interest rates are, are doing elsewhere. And so I wonder if that's their out. I'll tell you, if that if they give up the target, the 2% target, uh, Jay Powell is going to be smashed, crushed, dissected in his hearings before the House uh, Financial Services Committee. He won't do much better in the Senate either, but the House will just crunch him. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm not rooting for it. I'm just saying it's interesting that more people are talking about it. Well, I, I like the fact that uh, as a CEO of the largest bank in the United States, he's underwater. <laughs> Larry, I think I think Mike has a very good point here. There's yeah? no way they go to they, they have to give up the average inflation idea. 
They they liked that when inflation was under and they were like, well, we you know, we could get it a little above. There's no way they can actually do average 2% now that we've been above for yeah. so long yeah. because that would be 1% or less yeah. for, of, for inflation for quite a while. And they can't get there. I mean, I will just say there's no way to get average down to 2%. What wow. they're really aiming for right now is 2% as a floor. They want to hit that, but they're never they're not going to try to average it anymore. I think that framework is out the window. Yeah, that was Rich Clarity's idea. He's a friend of mine. He's a smart guy, but that was a really lousy idea, average inflation. Anyway, kids, we're going to take a break. We're talking to Michael Falkender who's uh, teaching school at the University of Maryland. He was the former assistant secretary of the Treasury for Economics. And we got John Carney of Breitbart News. By the way, folks, the Breitbart Business Digest, that is a must-read every day. The guy cranks it out, and he's become a regular star on a Fox Business show called Cudlow. Oops, I'm Cudlow. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Cudlow Show. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. I'm Larry Kudlow. Got a little frog in my throat. The pollen count here is like off the charts. I think it's 80. Anyway, we're with Michael Falkender, uh, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Economic Policies, teaching economics at the University of Maryland. He's also the Chief Economist of America First Policy Institute. And the great John Carney from Breitbart News co-author of the Breitbart Business uh, Digest. So, gentlemen, um, John Carney, I think I love you, love, 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 but I think you're overreacting on the dollar. <laughs> I, <think you're, laughs> I mean, I went back. I went back. I, well, here, let's start with what we know. For some reason, despite Fed tightening, the dollar has been declining almost 15% since October, which is interesting because the Fed's been tightening. Um, and the price of gold has soared almost 20%. It's now over 2000 bucks. So that's a weak dollar. Okay, I get that. But I went back and looked at the, uh, in terms of the big picture, ch- competition from the Remnimbi, Yuan, China, or the BRIC countries, uh, stuff like that. Uh, according to the Bank for International Settlements, uh, 90% of the world's transactions for everything, goods, services, finance, 90% is done by the dollar. I mean, one side is the dollar. It's about $6.6 trillion worth. Uh, so I, you know, I know reserve currency stuff has slipped a bit for central banks, but that's kind of almost a theoretical thing. The reality is everybody wants to use the dollar, whether the dollar is merited or not because of the mismanagement of fiscal and monetary policy, I don't know. But I don't really see a dollar threat. Or let me put it to you differently. King dollar, you want to bring King dollar off his throne. Uh, that's because of lousy homegrown policies. In other words, not China. You know, the I've met the enemy. The enemy is us. And if we have another six years of Joe Biden, there's no telling what will happen. Now, that's the biggest threat. I, so what I, what I would say is when, when I've talked about this, I'm talking about a much longer term change. It's not something that I see coming this year, next year, or, you know, even in the next five years. But I do see the world dividing up into trading blocks and therefore currency blocks. One of the reasons that the U.S. Ha- one of the reasons for King Dollar 
is that King Dollar, the U.S. government, has been very generous to the rest of the world. We run trade deficits, you know, against every other country practically in the world. And so one of the things that means is they have lots of dollars. And so they trade amongst themselves. You know, you have countries trading with Saudi Arabia. They're using dollars. There are lots of uses of dollars hang, hang in the on. world. John, hang on. Uh, you guys, can, can you guys stay? We're yep. going to have a break. Mike Falkender, uh, John, just stick around. I got to take a quick break. And we'll go another 10, 15 minutes if you have time. Go get a nice cup of coffee, Dunkin' Donuts, that kind of thing. I'm Cudlow. We'll take a break. We're going to back with the uh, King Dollar story and whatever else cooks up. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here with Mike Falkender and John Carney. So go ahead, John. Go ahead. You were trashing the dollar, right? The dollar is going to be replaced by the Chinese renminbi, which has no property rights and capital controls. And then you're going to replace it also by the BRIC countries, which have been around forever, and I doubt it. Not even the euro replaced the dollar. That used to be the argument. Right. I don't think that they're about to re- – I don't think anything will replace the dollar. I think actually the most successful economies in the world will continue to use the dollar, and all of the free nations of the world will continue to use the dollar. But what, but what we will see – and part of this is, as you said, a result of U.S. policy, although not quite the ones you were naming, which is the U.S. wants to reduce our dependence on China. What this will eventually mean if we succeed at this is that China will end up with fewer dollars. China sees that happening, and they are trying to – and by the way, Russia already has no choice. They can't use a dollar system. We've cut them off from that. So China sees that as an opportunity to build something else. And I do think that over the longer term, we will see the world divide into trading blocks where you'll have China trading with Russia and you and some other countries that will be in its orbit. And then the, and that will be a, a eventual failure. That will not work. And the rest of the world will remain on the dollar system. So what I will say is, Yet it's not the dethroning of King Dollar, but it's the rising of a competing kingdom that we are going to witness. Uh, Mike Falkender, what do you think about that, competing kingdoms? I'm largely in agreement with John in that what will happen is more of the international payments will move into RMB. We already see the Chinese playing a larger role in the Middle East, brokering that deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. We see that with Russia trying to still sell its oil largely to China, that they're going to be taking RMB instead of dollars. And so as we kind of move to this bipolar world where we've got, as John said, trading blocks that the U.S. and and Western countries that have similar labor rights, similar environmental approaches, uh, and that there's a seeking to isolate some of the activities with China – That means that reserve banks are not going to be as dominated in dollars. There's going to be more of a portfolio that's going to also include RMB. So we're just we're going to see ourselves going from 90 percent of international trade being denominated in dollars to a lower percentage. It's it's never going to get below. Well, certainly not in our lifetimes is it going to get below 50 because for the reasons you mentioned, there's there's not trust in Chinese economic reports. There are capital constraints on money flowing from China. And so China is not in a position to fully displace the dollar. 
The euro has had its problem, and no other currency regime is anywhere close enough to provide the liquidity that the dollar does. But it means that reserve banks are going to have more diversified currency portfolios as opposed to being as dominated by dollars as they are today. You know, and that's going to slightly weaken the dollar. Well, okay, but think about this. If you have um, – so if, if you're uh, Brazil or Argentina or Saudi Arabia – <clears throat> Put Russia aside for the moment. Uh, oh, the, Russia owns a lot of dollar reserves. They're frozen right now. But if you if you're increasing renminbi, RMBs, you know that. Uh, <laughs> I don't. What are you going to invest them in? I mean, because China's not an open system. They have capital controls, and China's the one country that would freeze your reserves. You know these uh, currency reserves in central banks. Those are the family jewels. You know. They, they own dollars mostly, but they own some gold. They might own some euros, but they're the family jewels. So you you invest in RMB, you you may never get them back. I mean, they're going to give you what Chinese bonds. You may, you may never get them back. In other words, you don't have the kind. And just as a generic point, not only not only is China run by a communist party, they have no respect for private property rights. They have no respect for private ownership. Uh, they don't even have any investment vehicles. I mean, there's very little. We tried, you know, with the U.S.-China trade deal. Uh, Mnuchin got a couple of companies in, as I recall, um, investment companies, but that's all. They didn't want banks. I mean, it's a state-controlled economy. So if you invest, one of the things you'll, that ne- you'll never get rise, your money out. One of the things that gave rise to U.S. dollar dominance around the globe was actually the U.S allowing banks around the world the euro dollar to be created in other words a lot we were free enough with our currency that basically european banks can create dollars we have you know dollar uh swap lines with central banks all over the world Mm -hmm. and we we've allowed the dollar to become that the chinese are never going to give up that level of control that will limit their you know so that so the russian central bank is never going to be able to authorize russian banks to lend in remibi that's not going a thing that's going to happen that will limit their ability to you know take over as a you know as the leading currency of the world you're absolutely right plus nobody is ever going to trust the Chinese government the way that they trust the U.S. government, in part because they don't have an independent central bank. We actually do have an independent central bank. They answer to the leader of China and the Communist Party. Yeah, no, so that's they, important. And they don't they have no respect for property rights. Property rights include financial instruments. So if you own run you have RMB in your portfolio, uh let's say you're the central bank of Brazil for argument's sake, or the central bank of South Africa or some, you know, you can own RMB, but you don't know that you'll ever get it. China will freeze that. If you do one thing they don't like, it's a communist run central bank. I mean, look, I knew the guy that ran it uh, for a bunch of years. He was a good guy. They got rid of him uh, because he was too independent. (laughs) He tried to have independence. And uh, they chopped his head off, metaphorically. They didn't actually chop his head off, but they replaced him. So that's why I'm so skeptical. But I will say this, you know, Mike Falconer, if you, if we keep spending and borrowing and deficit and debt and taxes and regulations, if you take our economy down, the dollar, which is weakening right now again, uh, despite higher rates, um, 
that'll do great damage to King Dollar, just in terms of the, you know, foreign exchange markets. It'll do great damage to the dollar. That's my biggest concern. It isn't that, you know, it won't be dethroned as the world's reserve currency, but, you know, people won't want to hold dollars. So, you know, the value of the dollar will come down and the inflation rate will go up because everything's priced in dollars. That's the biggest problem I see it. Right. And as we keep running these deficits, we're just going to keep flooding the market with ever more dollars in order to finance it. And so, yes, that's going to to bring down the dollar. I, I agree with you that there are always going to be concerns about how much long-term RMB-denominated securities you hold because you don't know whether or not you're actually going to be able to get that money back. But Mm. as more trade takes place in RMB, there is going to be some portion of reserves that are currently held in dollars that will shift over to RMB Mm. in order to facilitate some of that just day-to-day, month-over-month trade with China. You know, if I I were Brazil and I were receiving – or if I were Saudi Arabia and I were receiving Chinese dollars for purpose – purchases of Saudi Arabian oil, how much would I just buy Saudi products in, immediately versus how much would I hold RMB denominated securities? I probably wouldn't want the RMB securities for very long because, as you said, they on a whim can just decide that they're not going to yeah, pay it back. So, that's, but that, there is going to be a lot of contemporaneous trade with some RMB sitting in reserve to facilitate that just, you know, you know over time. We're still running, I mean, despite the hostility with China. We're still running uh, almost a $400 billion trade deficit with China. I mean, I hate to say it, but the uh, phase one U.S.-China trade deal, there's no appreciable difference that I can find. And we put a lot of export controls, obviously, on technology-related stuff because those are the family jewels and military and national securities. But, you know, Mike Falconer, we're still running close to $400 billion. but what I always remind people of is that, remember, the current account deficit is equal to the capital account surplus. Yes. And as long as we keep running multi-trillion dollar deficits, the portion that is not financed by greater money supply, because the Fed has been, the Fed has brought way down money supply growth recently, which means all of it's getting financed. And so to the extent that it's financed, and, and we have a very low personal savings rate in the U.S., which means it's got to come from abroad, mm. that you're financing the budget deficit. And some of that's going to come from China. And so rather than buying our goods, they're going to buy our financial securities, and that creates a, a current account deficit. Yep, absolutely right. That's a really key point. There's two sides to that trade. The current account is the capital account, and then there's the trading account. Very important point. All right, kids, you're terrific for staying over. John Carney of Breitbart Business Digest and Michael Falkender, University of Maryland and the America First Policy Institute, formerly top economist at the Treasury Department. I'm Cudlow. We're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to come back and talk about Janet Yellen's fanciful plan to send out IRS agents all across the country. Beware, folks. The IRS is coming after you. I'm Cudlow. Larry Cudlow.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 